This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here, by golly. On a Monday morning. I think it's the last Monday in November. When we're racing through it. And uh, we're here in Coach Hogg's locker room. Well, you know how it is, the Gators. Uh, spit the bit again, so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we are also, you know, brought to you by Melvin Law. Melvin Law has 50 years of experience, and it's the only full law firm. It's got everything, everything you need, but it's the only partner, the official partner, law firm partner of the Florida Gators. And um, they're doing their best they can to support them. And we need a little bit more oomph. We'll talk about that. We're also protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. And sponsored by all the great people you see uh, scrolling by your screen from now and then. Uh, On the spot cleaners, best cleaners, uh, please drop in on them. They're great people. Worked hard, started their business themselves. Uh, Ocasio, uh, Judy Ocasio, Allstate, started a business herself. Um, Caliber Coffee. Caliber Coffee started this business. If you say Ward uh, 15, you get 15% off. Uh, drinking a cup of Caliber right now myself. Style Cut started a business, home owned, uh, right down there around the corner on Bill Pinner Shoes. Uh, David Ratliff, great guy. And of course, we keep up with Watchful Chronicle. We try to keep you the local news, keep you informed. Ken Hillier says it's 37 degrees. In Atlanta, they say, we can't call it Atlanta, I guess. My golly. And I see where Don Turner Bailey is early to class for once. My golly. We're going to give that lad a good grade. And um, it is supposed to be kind of chilly here as well. Maybe at long last, you'll break out fireplace logs. I mean, we need them. Come on. We're getting near Christmas. Tim Martin's on. Um, Tim Martin was an excellent co-host the other day when we brought you the uh, – is ready tank driver. And um, there's a follow-up story to that. Uh, we have been given a video. We picked it up off of Breitbart. Uh, it's too long to run, I think, of a female, all-female tank um, outfit in Israel uh, that answered the call on the morning of the attack and started fighting back right away. It is, as far as we know, first all-female tank, squad, squadron, whatever it's called, I apologize. And uh, uh, we have seen it, and uh, we've checked out it. Uh, it is it is a, a precedent setter. You know, um, I got to thinking about that. There's nothing more ferocious than a mother protecting her home and her children. Why wouldn't you want women in the tanks? I mean, that's their home they're fighting for. In Israel, they're fighting for their home. Now, that makes me, maybe that will help you understand why the South was so hard to beat. The South was fighting for its home. Its home was invaded. Israel fighting for its home. When you didn't get into that dynamic, when you get into that psychology, You have got to do what Sherman did, and that is burn Atlanta and go to the sea and not leave enough tree foliage on a tree to hide a crow. Scorched earth all the way to ultimately win. Now, that is what Hamas would like to do to Israel. Destroy Israel. I just have that little bit of a side because we're waiting on our good friend 
Franz Beard to come on here with us a moment. And we're going to talk about athletics and sports as is Coach Hogg's locker room. But I wanted to bring that to your attention. Um, we'll try to follow up on that story with you. I've got a couple of more guests coming down the line to talk about this dynamic we're talking about, uh, of fighting to protect your home. Um, the Gator. Well, I'm sure Franz will have some comments about that. He's going to come on in about another five minutes. The um, Meanwhile, we have got in the pros right now, I got to tell you, some of the most exciting games you'll watch. They're coming right down to the end. And yesterday was the Eagles and the Bills in a sloppy rain. And uh, I got to tell you that that's real football. That in a sloppy rain, I'm sure France would uh, agree with me. France, I'm just talking a little bit here. I'm waiting for you to get on here about the Eagles-Bills game yesterday, how it was in the sloppy, messy, and that's football. As you know, at Gainesville High, we never kept our locker rooms clean, our gymnasium uh, locker uh, weight room clean. Why keep it clean? Come on, you're going to go out in the mud and the slop and fight for every inch of turf. Let's keep that weight room grungy and smelly and hot and sweaty. And we did. And I swear, Browns, those guys I coached with, it was like Dunkirk to them. I mean, they were going to do or die every time the ball was snapped. So we got Franz Beard here with us. I was talking about that game, the Eagles and the Bills yesterday. Browns in a pouring rain. I don't know if you caught it or not. I saw the end of it there. What yeah. what an ending there. What an ending. I've kind of cooked up a theme with Franz today, um, and it, it is hopefully controversial. Why, you know, and this man here has got as much expertise or anyone that I know of to really put this in a historical perspective and to know the dollar signs and all that business. But why is the University of Florida football program a graveyard? Now, I know there's a couple of guys who've gotten a success out of it. But how many out of how many? We got Steve Spurrier, who was turned down the first time by Bill Carr for being too young and not ready. And then we got Urban Meyer. And we had Charlie Pell. Yeah. But I don't know, Franz. I don't Coach know. Graves, Coach Graves was, was successful. Coach Graves uh, turned the corner on football here. Um Bob Woodruff came in. Bob Woodruff was here for 10 years from 1950 to 59. Um, punted on third down on occasions. Um, way, way, way too conservative. Uh, thought winning games eight to seven and seven to six was a really good thing. And of course, winning is good, but you know, you have to, you have to also put into perspective that that um, you have to put enough points on the board to win. You know, you, you, you know, you have to be able to, to beat others badly whenever possible. Um, one of the things I loved about Nye Black was, was Nye Black didn't believe it just, you know, you're up, you're up uh, twenty-one to nothing. <laughs> the third, it's the fourth quarter. Don't milk the clock. Get out there and go score points. You know, you're you're out there to score points. You're not out there to milk the clock and do other things. And and Coach Graves came in and brought uh, brought um, brought in an era of excitement when it comes to football. Um, the most excitement we had, in fact, really, since the guy named James Van Fleet was the coach back in the 20s. Now, Coach Van Fleet, um, a lot of people don't realize, but this is the only, he, he was here as the ROTC, uh, head, head of ROTC on campus. 
he had played football at West Point. Um, he was in the same class with uh, a couple of reasonably famous people named Eisenhower and um, Patton and Bradley <laughs> and, and, of course, a guy up in Tennessee uh, named Neeland as well. They were all, all there at West Point together. And Coach Van Fleet left on his own. Spurrier used to point out the fact that he said, yeah, uh, only one other coach ever here that has been here ever left on his own, and that was me. That was Coach Van Fleet. All the others got fired. And so Coach Graves brought in an era of excitement from 1960 to 69. He got hired for the magnificent salary of $17,000 a year. Um, and uh, Dr. Dr. J. Wayne Wrights hired him, and, and Dr. Wright said, "said I only make nineteen thousand, so you can't make as much as me." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now the coach we were after was first and foremost was Ara Parsegian, and Ara was set to come here in nineteen sixty, except that they made all these promises to him at Northwestern, and they never kept the promises. Um, he was he was going to be here. He was real. He really wanted to be the coach at the University of Florida. Um, you know, he he's a. We've had two whiffs on, on famous coaches. He was one of them. A guy named Lou Holtz was another. Um, so, at any rate, uh, Coach Graves comes in. He transforms things. Then they bring in. Then you know, amazingly, Dr. Stephen C. O'Connell in the summer of 1969 tells Coach Graves. You are not going to be the coach here beyond this year. Um, he had an agreement. He hired Coach Dickey. And Coach Dickey's going to coach Tennessee this year. Coach Graves is coaching, coach of Florida. Nobody knows that the termination has been set and the new coach is, is already set. Florida goes, goes, uh, eight, one and one. Uh, you know, back in those days, they only played 10 games. Florida goes eight, one, and one, and uh, comes to the, you know, comes time for bowls, and there were only like about six or seven bowls at that time. The Gator Bowl was a very prestigious bowl game, and uh, Florida had been to uh, the Gator Bowl twice under Coach Woodruff before Coach Graves got here. They were at the Gator Bowl twice uh, under Coach Graves, but they were also went to the uh, Sugar Bowl during Spurrier's junior year. They were went to the uh, went to the uh, Orange Bowl after his senior year when they beat, beat Georgia Tech and beat Bobby Dodd's last game as a head football coach, by the way. And Coach Graves was. Coach Graves just happened to be one of Coach Dodd's protégés. So we had this big link to Tennessee for the longest time, Ward, if you think about it, because uh, we had Coach Woodruff, who had played at Tennessee. We had Coach Graves, who had played at Tennessee. Then we get Coach Dickey, who had coached at Tennessee, who had played at Florida for Coach Woodruff. So we've got this big Tennessee influence here. And of course, Spurrier is from Tennessee and was coached by was coached by uh, uh, Coach Graves. So we have this big connection with Tennessee. Um, the Coach Graves era was 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 so important. It was like we went from the dark ages of football here to. Um, we go from the dark ages of football to the modern age of football, and that's the era when when Coach Bryant, Bear Bryant, up at Alabama, said, "If if Florida ever wakes up, it is the sleepy giant." 
the sleeping giant woke up when Steve Spurrier arrived here. It would have under Charlie Pell because uh, when Charlie Pell got fired, he left behind an NFL team, if you think about it. Um, you look at that roster. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it, was, it was just the, the, you know, the offensive line. You oh, yeah. have five linemen who all play in the NFL. Uh, wide receivers, Ray McDonald uh, uh, or Frankie, Frankie uh, Neal. Uh, Ricky Natiel, they all play in the NFL. That's three. Three first round running back first round pick running backs in uh Lorenzo Hampton, uh John L. Williams, uh Neil Anderson. Kerwin Bell played in the NFL. He was also one of the great became one of the greats in Canada. And that's just the offense. So Charlie Charlie would have won a national championship had uh, Florida stuck by him, but Florida did not stick by him. At the same time, this, this is the era when you, we had the Southwest Conference, SWC, which they proudly said is, sure, we cheat. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the SEC, and the SEC, here, here's the thing that's so so interesting about the word about the uh, the Charlie Pell situation. Pat Dye at Auburn had Auburn on probation during that time. Then you had Georgia, which bought Herschel Walker. I mean, if there had been cell phones, Herschel would have gone to Southern Cal. But um, uh, Georgia put an offer on a take it or leave it offer on the table. And they couldn't get a hold of John Robinson because he was at Riviera Country Club playing. Uh-huh. Golf. <laughs> had had he was prepared to top any offer that Georgia had. As I understand, it was close to about a quarter of a million dollars, which in 1980s money would, I guess, probably be a, what about a million and a half, two million dollars in today's funds. And uh, so Georgia ends up getting Herschel, you know, because everybody cheated, you know. Coach Dickey, Coach Dickey, for the most part, as far as I know, did not cheat, was a very honorable guy, did not cheat, played it by the books. We had great, we had some really talented rosters here. I mean, my gosh, you think about it, we had Wes Chandler here. Now, you talk about a guy that, should have been, you know, it, it's like we had this thoroughbred, and you know, and we and we and we put him in there with a bunch of show ponies. <laughs> yep. And uh, you look at at, at uh, Wes's numbers; he only caught ninety two passes, but he averaged like twenty something yards a catch. And had Wes. Can, can you imagine if he had been here during the Spurrier era when Spurrier was throwing the ball all over the place? He would have set records that nobody could have broken. And he was Percy Harvin before there was Percy Harvin. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Florida, gosh, I'm, I'm rambling here. I know. <laughs> uh, no, you're kind of on topic. Really, Franz, a, a graveyard or not. And everything I'm hearing is basically it is after with a few bright spots. Yeah, and, and a few, I think, in looking back on it, the most serious intrusion into, I won't call it a natural process, but it was certainly manipulated out of ego, I guess. I never heard any other version, was O'Connell's interference in the selection of Dickey over Ellison. I've always wondered where Florida football would have gone had Ellison been the head coach. Well, Gene was – oh, I guess – I might get emotional here talking about Gene. Gene was my friend. And, uh, of course, you were at GHS. His daughter, Donna, was there. With, she was there at the same time, you know, I was. Uh, I always felt like Mongo around her, you know, from you know, Blazing Saddles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she was absolutely just devastatingly good looking. And, uh, uh, but Coach Ellenson players loved him and would have 
totally, you know, given their lives for him almost because this guy, um, you know, he, he was, he was funny. He was intense, but he just inspired loyalty. I mean, we're talking about, about a guy that General Patton pinned personally pinned two silver stars on his chest at the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, you know, he tells the story of, of, uh, how he and six other, uh, six people in a foxhole fought off literally a hundred Germans. And when it was all over, he was like the only one still standing practically. He had other guys in his unit who were barely alive, but they, at the end of it, it was all hand to hand combat. And he won a silver star for that, and then won another one. Um, probably should have won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Probably should have. But that's the kind of guy he was. Um, you knew him, and uh, my gosh, I, you know, we could do a whole, an entire show with me just telling you uh, Gene Ellenson stories. Um, he, well, you know, the first time I, uh, you know, not black used to always. Uh, Try to impress upon me because you know I was also an English teacher, but I, you know, he had me on a coaching staff with him, and every time he could find an example of a coach who could also, how shall I say this, um, articulate well, he would uh, make a point of it. One of them was Dooley over at Georgia. He said that Dooley had a master's in history and was a very bright guy. He said, but he wanted me to get to know Gene. He said, you will love Gene. He's a writer and a very smart man. And, of course, I had Donna in class, so I knew them. And Mrs. Ellison, I was a wonderful family. And mm-hmm. um, so I got to know him a little bit. And right away, of course, I knew what the guys were saying about him or were coached by him. Um, I mean, do you recall, I know you do, that when Gene was jilted for the job, that Fred Abbott and all of them just quit and yeah. left that gum team and said, the hell with this. And I was part of that recruiting world for uh, the Gators in because I was coaching with Nye Black. And, you know, we had assembled, you were talking about Coach Pell a minute ago and the people he had, and there was no question but what they were impressive. But we had assembled a pretty darn impressive group too. We had John Reeves. We had Carlos Alvarez. Uh, Tommy, we had Dur- Tommy Durrance. Tommy, Tommy Durrance. We had, we had some real players. I mean, that were, and all of a sudden, that damn offense changed. We recruited them for the pro offense. And Coach Dickey came in and wanted to run, run, run the Veer option. He wanted to run the I. Well, some people would call it the I veer. You know, we ran I formation, but it is a veer offense. Uh, it was a triple triple uh, option, and uh, I mean, it looked like single wing almost. You know, um, well, yeah, he it, Coach Dickey had had tremendous success up at uh, Tennessee. Uh, he'd beaten Alabama twice. He'd won an SEC. Um, it was, my gosh, here we are. Florida goes 8-1-1, one, and one, gets the Gator Bowl bid, and who do they pair us with but Tennessee. So the coaches are going, you know, one coach, the Florida coach, Coach Graves, is going to be fired, and it, and it gets leaked out by Jack Harston. And, uh, but then Buddy Martin also got in on that. And all of a sudden it becomes a national story. And the guys were going to absolutely quit if it weren't for Coach Ellison. Coach Ellison is the one who graciously said, you know, guys, you know, this is life. You know, people do dirty things. People do nasty things. But, you know, you signed on to be a Gator, so be a Gator. And that's what happened. They did that. They played, but they out, but here's what happened. Tommy Rich blocks a punt in that game. Uh, we end up beating Tennessee 14 to 13. 
Uh, I give Tennessee credit in that ball game because they had a ferocious defense. Hacksaw Reynolds was on that defense for Tennessee, guy who ends up being, you know, one of the pro, you know, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, et cetera. But the Tennessee defense was fierce. And Florida beat him 14 to 13, but it was such an awkward situation. Coach Ellenson had the, uh, I think you could agree on this. He had charisma. And that charisma was inspiring. Uh, he spoke at our grad, we, we were going to get, um, we were going to get some, fam- you know, a famous guy who is going to be our speaker for commencement at uh, GHS 1969. And that fell through. And all of a sudden they, they're looking for a new speaker and somebody came up with the bright idea, get coach Ellenson. And it was the greatest commencement speech you could imagine. He was, he was absolutely terrific, witty, charming. You oh, yes, all, all the above. And, and this is the thing, you know, that we go from the possibility of bringing in this witty, charming guy. Can you imagine how he could have recruited? Uh, and we bring in Coach Dickey, and who, and, and if you know him privately, Coach Dickey's a gracious, nice man. He, he is a very. He looks great. He's almost 100. Yeah, I know, but he's one of the, he is a very, he's 92 now, 92. He and my uncle, uh, Don Van Sickle were, um, they were teammates at at PK Young and best friends. Um, my uncle goes on to be in the CIA and then comes out and works for Procter and Gamble and then comes CEO of some pretty big corporations. Um, but, Coach Dickey would come over to my to my uh, grandparents' house and play. They played basketball. Everybody wanted my grandmother on the team because I think she could. She knew how to cheat anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> but she, my grandmother was a was a heck of a basketball player. It turns out, but um, he, he had personality, but he didn't come across. You know, it, he's one of these people. That if you know him privately, you understand he's got charm and whatever like this. But his public persona was always almost dour, I guess, is it would be a word. You're yeah, always- and look at what he had to follow, Franz. He had to follow Gene Ellison, and that was a heck of a calling. He had to follow these kids that were recruited specifically to be around guys like Gene Ellison and uh, they'd have super softs, if you remember, they were mm-hmm. called. And all of a sudden, we got a whole different deal. We even changed the field. And I don't know if you recall, Not but sure. uh, there had been a huge rock concert on that field right at the end of the Gator season. And it had gone on all day and far into the night. And it had rained. And that field... I don't know if you recall this, how long it took staff on their hands and knees picking glass out of the turf. Mm-hmm. And so when Dickie came, he said, we're not doing that. We can't. We're going to put down the you know, AstroTurf or whatever it was called then. Doug's rug. Doug's rug. And we tore up the hedges and really made it a concrete palace in there. And you know a lot of the guys that I know who are adult men now who are carrying injuries from playing on that surface. Oh, yeah. It was very unforgiving. You had, you had a pad that I'm putting all my fingers apart about, what, three quarters of an inch, an inch of padding, and then you had asphalt underneath it. It was like, it really and truly was like playing on the street. Absolutely. Coleman Franz Beer, we're down at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to be back in a moment with uh, great uh, wisdom here, a lot of stories, taught by the best, by the way. We haven't even mentioned our mentioned our buddy, uh, Jack Harston, who uh, really, I think Franz will admit right away, mentored him. Uh, one of the great rock contours, 
of our community, the old-fashioned sports columnists. Boy, do I miss those type of guys, friends. And um, we're trying to get a little bit of the flavor of that today. Uh, my theme uh, for questioning is, why is Florida a graveyard for football coaches? And we've got a couple of places in memory where it wasn't, of course. We've got Steve. We haven't touched on Meyer yet. Uh, we had Charlie Pell, who would have been among the greatest. But, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that when we get back, perhaps, Franz, about comparing him to Harbaugh. You know, they put Harbaugh in timeout, as you know, and mm-hmm. this team still won. So oh, yeah. oh, there you go with that. And and the great ones are – their influence is there whether they're on the sideline or not. I yeah. think Gene Ellison is a perfect example. Whether yeah. he was on the sideline or kicked upstairs to run the boosters, his presence was like a ghost hanging over that program. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files looking at people coming in. Doug Whitaker from down in Mexico. John Magson, Hall of Fame umpire. A lot of great people here watching today. I'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned. We'll do the weather. We'll be back with Franz. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. The Kiera Grace Foundation proudly presents An Evening with Tim Tebow. Thursday, November 30th at the Touchdown Terrace at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Experience a once-in-a-lifetime VIP meet and greet with Tim. Hear his heartfelt stories and his unyielding dedication to the most vulnerable. With your support, we can extend the reach of the Kiera Grace Foundation to save precious lives in Latin America. Get your ticket before they sell out. Don't miss your chance to meet Tim Tebow, be inspired, and make a tangible difference. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather here. Brought to you by Lewis Oil, Fossil Fuel Chevron Stations. And, uh, heck, these electric cars are not going to make it. I rode by some charging station the other day, and they were piled up there. I don't know whether the thing was broken or not, but I thought, I don't want to spend 30, 40, 50 minutes out there like that where I can get pumped with gas and get out of there. Anyway, um, it's chilly here in uh, Piney Woods of North Central Florida, where we are in the command center. 
in uh, Coach Hogg's locker room, and it's going to be chilly. And maybe you can break a log out here the next day or two and pretend like you're really cold up north. But it's 55 <laughs> going up to 65, uh, which is still warm. They raise the wind is on that up north. Uh, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a, uh, a great na- – lakes are going to get cooler and all that business. And, of course, we watched the miserable weather yesterday when we were watching the Eagles and the Bills play. But to us, from the old Gainesville High and Die Black days, that was just like landing at Dunkirk. I mean, come on, man. That's real football. So um, we got Franz Beard here with me today. Uh, can talk about anything. Has got an encyclopedic memory. Uh, was trained by a real good friend of mine. I know a good friend of Franz, too. Uh, that was Jack Harston. Uh, Jack was the original lampshade uh, adult beverage cigarette smoking sports writer. And uh, I used to, I, you know, just love to hear him tell stories. Now, played, played tennis, played tennis with the cigarette. One oh, yeah, the cigarette, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we won, the, we, we played doubles uh, down in, in Greenleaf. They had the uh, state hall of fame and the uh, sports writers convention all at the same time. And Jack and I are playing doubles, and he says, you get up there in the net, I'll take care of everything back here. <laughs> and, and what he was trying to tell me was, make sure nothing comes back here. Right, 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 right. But we won, and it, it, was, it was a blast. Jack, Jack well, also about whether or not, uh, what's a graveyard? What is it about Florida that makes it a graveyard? Uh, for coaching, I was, doing, I was asking uh, Franz on the break, if he knew this off the top of his head, I know he does. How much, because well, I got an article right here from the Wall Street Journal. There's a billion dollars worth of injured quarterbacks right now in the NFL on the sidelines. Now, that might even eventually break down into the NIL, too. Who knows? But what were we paying? And how many were we paying once upon a time, Franz? Do you have any record? Well, at one point in time, we were paying, we were paying off uh we we paid off uh will muschamp and and i think i'll I'll be honest with you i think we were impatient with will i think will really had figured out what he needed to do here and um you know it's like we gave the keys to the cadillac to the cabana boy and 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 i'm not you know, Will was a was a was and is a brilliant defensive mind. Uh, you notice that Georgia, since he came, got, he got fired in South Carolina and came to Georgia. You know, and all of a sudden takes over the defense. You notice Georgia has won two national championships since then. <laughs> it, it's no coincidence that they're doing so well. Kirby knows what he's doing, and Kirby brings in the best, and Will is. Will, we got, we were peg off Will, and then along comes McElwain. McElwain is here seven games into his third, third year, and he tells everybody that he has had death threats. And he said death threats to his family and everything like this. And I remember that. And basically they just said, well, give us a little bit of evidence that you've done it. Because this is a real incident, and we have got to have real yeah. evidence. Because people were demanding, they said, "You know, sh- you know." It's, remember the great line uh, in the movie Jerry Maguire: "Show me the money." Yeah, well, yeah. Show me the evidence, you know. And he couldn't, and, and he and he was lying, and you know, I I have no idea why he did that, but. We ended up paying, you know, I don't know. We had cause to fire him, and yet we ended up paying him off. And we're paying off Will. At the same time, we're paying off McElwain, and we hired Dan Mullen. Um, when we hired uh, Will Buschamp, we paid uh, Urban Meyer that year a million dollars to be here. And Urban had an office, and he was here. Uh, I went to lunch with him and, and you know, things like that. Urban was, you know, Urban went back to get the coaching because I think he was bored out of his mind. Uh, 
I think he enjoyed he enjoyed that year. He worked with ESPN. He went around the country. He had fun and stuff like this. This is why I don't think he's going to ever go back to coaching. I think he's having too much fun now with this gig in Fox. If you want to giggle, watch ESPN's game day. If you want to know some real football, though, go to the Fox show. Uh, Big noon kickoff. What, what a show. They really, really get into They let Urban get into the X's and the O's and telling why stuff works and why it doesn't. And it's an amazing show. Um, but it's a graveyard. You look at the impatience that we have. Spurrier uh, leaves here after 12 years. Surprised everybody. Um, a lot of it had to do with, with what happened with the idiot that the University of Florida hired as the president of the university, Chucky Young. Um, talk about a school, you know. He came from Southern Cal, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he came, well, yeah, he came out from a, a UCLA. UCLA, yeah. Yeah. And, um, he gets credit more credit than he deserves for the you know Florida has become an elite uh, education. It really has. The University of Florida is rated the number one academic school in the country for among the publics. That we're better, you know, they rate us above Michigan and Southern Cal, Virginia, UCLA. Uh, I mean, not Southern Cal, UCLA out there, California, um, Ohio State, all these prestigious public institutions, and they rate Florida as the number one. And it it was, a you know, you look at our presidents and, and how they've interfered. I mean, you know, we're talking about how it becomes a graveyard. Um, you know, we, we had... Coach, you know, Dr. Wrights brought, you know, fired Woodruff because he said, you know, we've got to have a, we, we got to be more than a five and five program. Uh, sounds a lot like Russ Bjork out there at Texas A&M says, yeah. we're not an eight and four. Uh, so he goes out and hires Malik Elko, and I guarantee you they're going to be an eight and four program. Talk about, you know, we talk about how Florida is a graveyard. Think about, Texas A&M, I mean, my gosh, they've got, you know, only the Longhorns and God have more money than the Aggies, and they're going to pay Elko's uh, exit fees over at Duke. They're going to have to pay about $15 million for him to leave Duke. They just paid Jimbo $76 million to not coach football, you know, Lord have mercy, we came along. You you came along at the wrong time. You could have been a head coach in college and gotten fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but oh my gosh, do you think about what they're paying people? To, people here, we paid. Uh, we we paid uh, Ron Zook. I think it was four million dollars. That's what we paid him. A million dollars a year. He had a million dollars a year left on his contract when he got fired and um, everybody points to the Mississippi state game as the game. They say, Oh, that was why he got fired. They didn't get fired because of that. Ron Zook got fired because of the frat boy incident when they had. Oh the, yeah. 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 He, he goes out there and gets, and, and literally is challenging the president uh, of, of a fraternity. Yeah. I remember that to, a, to a fight. You know, I mean, a couple of the, there was a frat that our football players going to their dorm had to go by this frat house, and this frat house had been harassing them. And finally, it it boils over because our guys are going to fight. And Coach Zook is in his office over at the stadium, and he gets called and said, go do something about it. And he goes over there. Of course, Ron is an in-your-face kind of guy, and Ron got in the face of the guy. Yeah, I remember. We it. almost have a fist fight. He would have been fired that time. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that Bernie Matchin had. Bernie Matchin was not going to let this be a case where a fraternity could determine who's who's going to be the football coach at the University of Florida. 
So they had to wait until the Mississippi State debacle. And that get, that was the one that they were able to say, oh, okay, you're fired now because look at this. So we, we go out to Mississippi State. Mississippi State was in. Pretty good, not a good, not a great team, but pretty good. I think they were they were like a six and five team that year, and they ran all over us. I think they ran for three hundred and eighty yards that ball game, and they beat Florida. And uh, that's the game that they fire him uh, after they hired Urban. And, and you got to remember something. You know, we you talk about going back. We fired, we fired Coach Dickey. We hired Coach Pell. We fire Coach Pell. We hire Galen Hall. Galen Hall gets uh, fired for basically, I think it was $50. You paid, say, I loaned it to the kid or something, I remember. Well, Jarvis Moore, I mean, it's not Jarvis Moore, Jarvis Williams. Yeah. Um, had a, had a, um, not made his child support payment. And they were coming to get him. And Galen paid him out again, just reached into his pocket. Yeah. Gives, gives him the money. And his mom brought a check the next day to pay Galen back. But Bill Arnsparger, who was Bill Arnsparger, this is the part that's so interesting. Now, you, okay, get right. Now, you want a story? Here's your story. Bill Arnsparger wants to bring in Mike Archer, the guy he left behind at LSU. Bill yeah, Archer is the athletic director here. And he's been hired to clean up things up. That's what they that's what they said we needed to do. We gotta clean things up at Florida. Marshall Kreiser puts brings him in. You know, Marshall Kreiser was the president of the University of Florida, Pox be on him and his family. Uh <laughs> yeah. Never uh, said a word. I played tennis with a guy. He never said a word. Yeah. But um, at any rate, he brings – he wants Mike Archer, okay? And the pressure is mounting because Steve Spurrier has just won the uh, ACC championship at Duke, and nobody wins ACC championships at Duke. Correct. And – uh they're exciting, and they're, you know, uh, Spurrier had gone there to be an assistant coach for Red Wilson, and Red Wilson had him and just put him in totally in charge of the offense. And uh, Coach Wilson, who'd come to to Duke from Elon, and Coach Wilson would say, "Say what? What did you just call? What? What's the play call?" And Spurrier would say, "Touchdown, uh-huh. Coach!" <laughs> and the, but they had a guy named Ben Bennett who ends up playing in the USFL. Was a pretty good football player, and uh, it, it was it was quite a quite a show, dog and pony show he was running. And he brings it to the Tampa Bay Bandits. They hired him. He was the offensive coordinator at Duke and becomes the head coach of a professional football team. And of course, they play what he calls bandit ball. And Lord have mercy that you know they they were out drawing the bucks, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, down there at the playing in the in Tampa Stadium, the the big sombrero as they call yeah. it. And uh, but anyway, Coach Arch, you know, Coach um, Arnsparger decides that he's going to do that. Well, Ben Hill Griffin comes up to Gainesville, sits down in Arnsparger's office, and Arnsparger is talking about. Well, Spurrier can't do this and Spurrier can't do that. And we got to, you know, I, I got the right guy hired and whatever like that. I'm, this is what we're going to do. And Ben Hill Griffin goes, he said, and this is, and, and I have, I have actual witnesses who have told me this is true. And Ben Hill Griffin says, Bill, Steve Spurrier is going to be the football coach at the University of Florida next year. You don't have to be the athletic director. <laughs> and uh, that I have had that confirmed by by you know, witnesses, actual witnesses who tell me that story. And 
that's how Steve becomes the football coach here at the University of Florida. It was a great era. And uh, Marshall Kreitzer is replaced at that point in time by John Lombardi, who I think is the best president the University of Florida has ever had. I mean, he was absolutely terrific. And I think if John Lombardi had not been forced out as the president of the University of Florida, I think Steve Spurrier would have gone beyond 12 years. But Steve uh, Steve left after 12 years. He had a run-in with, uh, I think, with um, Chucky. I, I, I refuse to call him Dr. Charles Young. <laughs> Chucky. And he, he was... Uh, but he, he he had a lot he had a hand in Spurrier leaving, I believe. I, I think that I I I think Steve Spurrier did not want to be a part of the you know, I, I think that, that he, he wanted to get away from it all because uh of the way that things were being run. And that's just an that's just an opinion. That's not that's not totally based on fact, but that's an opinion. Um well, we run him off. Basically, he quit on his own volition. But I think that the things that were going on here under Doctor Young uh, made it palatable to to leave. So he leaves after beating the winning the Orange Bowl, beat Maryland badly, badly in that ball game. That was two thousand one. Should have. Had there not been the 9-11 incident there and they postponed the Tennessee game, if Florida played Tennessee in September in the heat and everything like that, Tennessee would have never won that ball game. And Tennessee, the game was pushed back to December. Tennessee wins the ball game. Um, Florida, I think, would have won the national championship of that year. I really believe that. Uh, even though I'm coming in now. Since we've got a five, what is it, five and six, got a losing season now, do we? With yeah. Five what's, and seven. What's, what's the, um, what, what, what is the um, crystal ball show for him, in your opinion? I think if everybody's willing to be patient, and this is, you know, you, you asked a, a pertinent question there, Ward, about patience. You said Florida's a graveyard. Well, Florida's a graveyard because there's no patience here. Um, Dan Jenkins, uh, the late, great Dan Jenkins, once talking about the University of Florida, said, said we have the, the arrogance of Notre Dame and the history of Wake Forest. <laughs> He's right. Well, kind of, you know. Uh, yeah. Until Spurrier came along, that was pretty much the truth. Um, Charlie would have gotten a national championship. Charlie, Charlie would have done that. I, Charlie, I was on a plane with with uh, Charlie. We're in uh, Ben Hill Griffin's plane. We go up to sign, Richmond to sign, and the coaches could be with a player when he signs. And we went up there to sign Gordon Pleasance, a uh, great running back out of Maggie Walker High School in in Richmond, and I, I had had a hand in recruiting him. So we go up there to Richmond and sign him. But it was on the flight. And Charlie's got a Vantage cigarette, and he smokes it all the way down to the filter and burnt his his fingers were always the deep yellow. Yeah, and uh, Charlie Charlie says leans back that Vantage cigarette says. You know we're going to win championships here, and I'm going to wait till next year, Gator. And I love hearing this, you know. And I said, "Yeah," I said, "I can't wait till we win the SEC." He says, "Oh, we're going to do more than that." I said, "Really?" He said, "We're going to win the national championship." And I'm thinking, I am a wait until next year, Gator. And this man is talking about winning national championships. Alabama wins national championships. We're Florida, you know, and, and we've we've always had uh, an inferiority complex here. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Alabama, this is the difference between Florida and Alabama. Ala, you know, I always 
Alabama was like North Carolina basketball. I never forget 1996 North Carolina's playing uh, Wake Forest, and they're down 10 points with two minutes to go. And Dick Vitale says, there's Wake Forest. And he says, two minutes to go. They think they're going to win. He says, over there, North Carolina, two minutes to go. They're down 10. They know they're yeah, going yeah, to win. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's kind of like you look at the mentality that's out there. Saturday, you know, the last, play, you know, almost the last play of the game, fourth and forever. And Alabama wins. Now, why does yes. Alabama, Alabama wins games like that? Florida does not. Florida's had, I look at, at, at uh, the record, 11 and 14 for Billy Napier. And there are eight games we should have won. Eight. Yeah. If he's 19 and six right now, everybody is saying, look out Kirby Smart. Look out Nick Saban. Here come the Gators. But now we got people out here saying, we're going to have to fire Billy if he doesn't win again next year. We've had three straight losing seasons. Well, guess what, folks? I did, I went back to 2011 and how many, you know, Ward, this is a line of scrimmage league. We've signed 63 offensive linemen since 2011. How many five-star offensive linemen do you think we've signed? Not many. Two. Yeah. How many four-star offensive linemen have we signed? 17. Over the same period, Alabama has had, had 56 offensive linemen they've signed. 10 five-stars, 37 four-stars. And 47 out of 56 as compared to 19 out of 63. You wonder why Florida football has been sliding like this since Will Muschamp. Will goes 28 and 21. Uh, Along comes uh, Jim McElwain, who is 22 and 12 at the time he's fired. Dan Mullen goes 34 and 15 before he's fired. It's been a descending scale. You have these pockets of success that is unsustained. And the reason it is unsustained is because you don't recruit the people up front and win at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, no offense to all these three-star guys, but I've, I've, you know, I've got a, a chart here that I, that I made on this and I'm looking at it and it, it's like, I, I'll give you uh, 2014, we signed seven offensive linemen, one of them named David Sharp. Taven Bryan ends up getting put over on the defense, and he ends up in the NFL, but David Sharp did. Then we get Andrew Mike, Traveris Dorsey, uh, Caveras Harkness, Drew Savary, I can't pronounce his name, Savory, I think it is, and Nolan Kelleher. How many of those guys do you think ever played? Other than a couple of them played on special teams to block. But you go two for seven. You can't go two for seven on recruiting offensive linemen. You cannot do that. You and expect to win. Alabama, Alabama's averages, they, they, they'll sign, if they sign five guys, they think four of them will stay and one of them will leave. They're at 80%. Florida, Kind of runs about, oh, I'd say 30% of their linemen stick. It's, it's, but that's a marvelous job of uh, taking us down the uh, memory lane here. And uh, about a time, I got to have to do it again one day. But um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I feel like um, Napier, he's, if he doesn't uh, do something dramatic, and, and kind of flip it here. We'll do the same thing we've been doing with a pattern you've just gone through. Uh, we'll, we'll change horses in midstream or I'll look for the silver bullet or. Yeah. We paid Mullen $12 million not to coach anymore. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll do that. And, uh, you know, Billy, people say, well, we need to fire Billy Napier. Well, it costs $31 million to fire him if you want to do that. Yeah. And, uh, Indiana just spent. 
$20.8 million to fire uh, Bill uh, Tom Allen there. Uh, they just fired him yesterday. $20.8 million. Lord, let me live long enough to be fired as uh, reincarnated and fired as a college football coach. Isn't that the truth? Well, we got to run, buddy. It's 10 o'clock. Tomorrow we'll have the investigator, instigator for the Ward Scott Files. That'd be another great show. We always thank Franz for coming by and sharing his wisdom with us. Have a great day and stay warm. Warthog Command Center out.